FX Medicine is your gateway to news, resources and information on the safe, evidence-based approach to practising complementary and integrative medicine. Visit fxmedicine.com.au to sign up for e-news and stay up to date with the latest research, podcasts and industry information. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining us on the line today is Tara Nelson, who's a West Australian-based naturopath with over 24 years of clinical experience. After many years of seeing primarily thyroid conditions in her clinic, Tara went into researching for herself and further education in order to improve her clinical outcomes in her complex thyroid patients. Tara has developed a six-week online practitioner thyroid training program to further educate practitioners in thyroid health, including a thyroid recovery program. Tara has completed extra studies in the AIP dietary and lifestyle approach, which she utilizes with many of her thyroid and other autoimmune patients. Tara is on a mission to bring awareness and education to the public and practitioner community alike about the importance of thyroid health on a deeper level. Welcome to FX Medicine, Tara. How are you? Um, I'm really well, thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me here. Uh, Now, I've got to ask, how did your thyroid niche come about? Um, Well, I think it actually chose me. So after nearly 24 years in practice, I was kind of looking for my next move, so to speak. Um, Even though I was still very passionate about my industry and, you know, absolutely love what I do, there are, and there's so many more pathways for naturopaths these days. And I was just presented probably around about sort of five years ago, an alarming rate of thyroid cases in clinic, you know, like a whole day of just of thyroid patients alone. Um, or just when I'm going through the history of these women, um, checking out that they're on taking thyroxine and asking them about their thyroxine. And many of them uh, had been on it for many years. Uh, they had no idea if they had an autoimmune thyroid condition or what their original diagnosis was. Uh, they just sort of been told to take this um, medication for the rest of your life, no questions asked or any routine testing, and definitely no antibodies ever tested mm. for some of them or mm. if tested once for their diagnosis, um, never, ever tested again. So, you know, and a lot of them didn't realise that, that actually the symptoms or the presentation they were coming to see me for um, was actually due to their thyroid imbalance. But a lot of them think just because they're taking thyroxine that that's dealing with their thyroid. No, my thyroid's fine. I'm taking thyroxine, so it can't be um, the thyroid causing their symptoms. So, you know, seeing a lot of more and more thyroid cases in clinic, you know, I, I had some really complex cases. So, you know, children born without a thyroid. I had a young man, um, you know, a 29-year-old man with a TSH of 229. and he hadn't even been offered thyroxine. So, you know, he came to me with his, his blood pathology test and I'm looking at a TSH of 229 thinking, what's anyone doing for you? Have you had an ultrasound? Have you? Um, and then, you know, I've seen a lot of people with antibodies in their thousands um, and, you know, on, and on thyroxine and, and no other treatment. 
So I was noticing all the different and varied presentations of thyroid dysfunction, and I felt really inadequate treating these people. I didn't see too many thyroid cases in my first five years of practice. Uh, then I sold my practice and went on to have children. And then after that, I didn't see a lot of thyroid. And then all of a sudden, I'm just whacked with just, just it was just um, so many mm. um, cases, and these tricky cases in clinic. So, yeah, and I also found during this time that the protocols and treatments that I'd learned about treating the thyroid in my naturopathic training and also in the current textbooks that I was referring to, just it wasn't cutting it. They were pretty straightforward and linear, as in this is hypothyroidism, this is hyperthyroidism, this is Hashimoto's, this is Gray's disease, and this is how you treat it. But I was seeing all these different presentations in between that weren't classic textbook cases. I found it confusing, and the protocols just don't address the underlying causes. And I really feel that some naturopathic protocols uh, were and are still just as bad as the medical medical approach of just take this one size all fits pill. Uh, well, sorry, take this one size fits all pill, as in many of the generic thyroid formulas around at the moment and protocols that they still offer practitioners today. So I re- I went back into study. I sort of started immersing myself in everything thyroid and get my hands on. I read all the books. I started focusing all my CP. CPE points on purely thyroid, endocrine, autoimmune, um, you know, anything I could get my hands on to try and help these people as the best I could and learn how to treat these people. Um, because, And I realised that there was so much more to thyroid physiology than what I was taught um, in my original training. And I believe the same still stands today because after writing and running, you know, the first round of my thyroid training practice, uh, thyroid training practice, program for practitioners you know I had quite a lot of um, experienced practitioners do my course and and the um, outstanding feedback was that this information is just not taught Mm. um, in naturopathic training so often we hear this yeah that's right you know thyroid physiology is complex it's multi-layered it is a chronic illness and once it's set in um, it's extremely debilitating um, for the you know I see a lot of women that just feel misunderstood misrepresented um, just because it's not, you know, it's an illness that you can still kind of function because we're women and we have to. Most It's mostly a women-run sort of or dysfunction or disease, whatever you want to call it, um, and it really deserves the same approach to treatment, and I just don't think that's happening. I, th- I think, seriously, part of the issue, as you say, is indeed the word protocol. When mm. pe- people get stuck in a fixed yeah. way of doing things, and and yes. I, I like, I wish we could do away with the term protocol. But guideline, sure. Yes. Options, yes. sure. Therapeutic and, you know, considerations, absolutely. Yeah. But protocol is a non-thinking approach. No, and I think our training has to change. I think we don't delve into, um, you know, treatment plans um, and. Um, diseases or dysfunctions in the body enough. We sort of generalise and then there's this treatment protocol at the end. And I think a lot of young practice come out with these protocols. And I know I did it when I first came out. All I had was my protocols. Um, And it's not until you actually start experiencing these clients that you realise that those protocols are quite inadequate. And Mm. I remember, um, you know, one thing I used to do is when a client would ring up and book in, I'd ask them what was going on. They'd give me a little bit of a rundown and then I'd go away and I'd, scram through my protocols and write everything down and feel like, yep, I've got it covered. They sit down and open their mouth and I just throw that protocol out the door, go, look, that person is a person sitting in front of me. <laughs> um, that, yeah, that protocol is not going to work. So This is the thing that I love learning from all of the experts, you know, that we have on FX Medicine is they treat the person. 
Um, and the person is never a textbook, not ever. But never. but one thing worried me, um, what you said, and, and that was that, you know, for instance, you had a guy with a, this massive TSH mm. level that yes. wasn't even medically offered uh, no, drug that's therapy. Surprising. Um, that's that was surprising. I'll never forget him. That was my highest TSH. And I was just flabbergasted that, um, you know, who is your GP and why have they not offered any treatment? I mean, that's not a subclinical hypothyroid. No, no. We're going to watch and wait for three months. No way is that subclinical. No, no antibodies tested. So we went and got him some, you know, we got the full thyroid function, full thyroid panel. We had an ultrasound. And, yeah, he was in full-blown Hashimoto's. And um, amazing, though, you know, he... I think that's the thing with thyroid that, you know, sometimes they're all different. Sometimes there isn't. Some people are very, very debilitated and have, you know, hundreds of symptoms and others actually don't have too much at all. And mm. yet on pathology, you'd think they shouldn't be able to get off the ground. So there's, it, it comes in so many types of different presentations. And that's what I originally found so confusing when I started to see not just your standard run-of-the-mill textbook case, I started seeing so many different presentations um, on, on paper, in, in, in a clinical picture, that I felt it needed more study. And I really believe, too, that um, I'm, I'm really, I think we as, as naturopaths need to specialise and become really good at what we love treating mm. because then we can really help deal with these people in these mm. conditions a lot more effectively than seeing this wide range of conditions where we were expected to know so much about everything. There was another point that I, I was just wondering about, and that was you mentioned this guy with a massive TSH, so it was obviously mm -hmm. a clinical situation. Yeah. But of, um, conversely, with disorders like Hashimoto's, the patient mm. can present with euthyroid and you don't really get a picture yes. of what's going on until you look at the antibodies, until you yes. look at oh. what's being destroyed. Absolutely. Exactly. And we're going to get to that. But yeah, I see that all the time, Andrew, um, people coming in, mostly women again, um, you know, when I ask about their thyroid, oh, my thyroid's fine. It's been tested. It, it's fine. I'm told it's fine. And then we actually look at it. And I've seen so many very normal, naturopathically normal, you know, 1.5 or 1.7 TSH mm -hmm. with high antibodies. Yeah. But yet that will never get picked up because of the medical protocol of we wait till that TSH gets really high above the reference range or below and we sit on that for about three months to see if that goes back to normal before we actually go that next step and all my patients I work with some wonderful um, GPs I'm very lucky but that's taken you know 20 years to get to that point mm. um, but I work with some a wonderful integrated GP that we share patient care with and she will test every time we, I just send it straight to her she gets the full thorough panel among other um, testing and an ultrasound and we get, you know, find out exactly what's going on for these people, which is, yeah, is what needs to happen. So this is one of the conundrums that we face and that is how do we test? There are many instances where a GP has to have clinical suspicion and if mm. they're not aware of this, you know, what can go on with, for instance, Hashimoto's and, and what, yeah. can, what can be the relevance of the antibodies. Indeed, mm. I've seen the denial of the yeah. antibodies. So, so yeah. it really requires the upskilling of GPs to become aware yeah. oh. of disease processes. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And um, I do, I would love it to be my mission to somehow educate, um, you know, GPs, endocrinologists are exactly the same. Um, and I recently had um, a conversation, my integrated GP that I work with, who's wonderful, is actually very, very busy 
and is not taking on new patients anymore. So I've actually aligned with another one and I was talking to her the other day um, and asking if she'd, you know, do all this testing for me. And she said, oh, well, you know, but antibodies aren't clinically relevant. And I just said, well, you know, I'll send you some studies to show you that, yes, they are clinically relevant. And if you do not treat the autoimmune component of a thyroid condition, that person is not going to get better and they're going to, you know, need more and more um, reliance on thyroxine and, and higher dose. Um, so she was she was really great. She's, she's prepared to work with me with that and, um, yeah, which is, is really lucky. But it's it's just very frustrating. If you don't treat the autoimmune component, you're just waiting basically yeah. for something to become pathological yes. for which you then have to, you know, either ablate the thyroid or you're beholden to supplementation for the rest of your life because you yeah. have a poorly functioning thyroid. That's right. And one really big point here, Andrew, is that autoimmunity is the number one cause of, thy of thyroid conditions in the body. Yeah. The number one leading cause. So, I mean, we're all about addressing the root causes. You have to address the root causes in any thyroid condition. And if autoimmunity, that's where it starts for, for many people. It's the immune system that starts attacking the thyroid tissue that starts affecting the pathology and the, and the thyroid function. So unless you treat that underlying cause, again, yeah, you're not going to get anywhere. So why? Why are we seeing such an explosion of mm. thyroid conditions? Yeah. That's what I was asking myself when I just started seeing all these conditions in clinic. It was crazy. Um, well, I think there's three main reasons we'll get to, but, you know, thyroid hormone production, you know, really is a very complex system. So there's, there's actually five steps to thyroid hormone production. It's a very complex um, interplay. There's, you know, things like toxins, deficiencies, a lack of ATP all affect that complex interplay. You know, we've got the sodium iodide supporter suppression that happens, um, which is, you know, very nutrient dependent. You know, we need glutathione, we need selenium, um, toxins block thyroid hormone production. The whole endocrine system affects each other. So we've got to look to the, to the other endocrine organs to find out the cause. You know, the, the adrenals, um, is there stress going on? And it can be many different stresses. Um, if there's insulin or hormonal gonadal problems, um, they're going to affect thyroid function. So they're just some of the sort of um, reasons. Our thyroid function actually decreases after the age 30. Our receptor sites um, decrease the thyroid hormones. Um, and the, so the prevalence um, increases with age. We're all aging. So we're going to get that um, higher prevalence with age. And there are just so many ways that thyroid function can be effective. But I think the three main reasons are, you know, number one has to be environmental toxicity. You know, there's so many right. um, toxins in our environment these days that are exposed to. The thyroid is extremely sensitive to any chemical. It's a very vascular gland, as are all endocrine glands. It's an environmental sensing gland. So in times of toxic stress, the thyroids will slow down or speed up depending on what's going on. Um, so, you know, the water, the, the chlorine and the fluoride, which are in most water systems, are halogens that are in the same level of the periodic table of iodine. So um, these, because of their larger size or molecular weight, actually block iodine uptake, and especially if the thyroid gland is depleting iodine. So um, we need to really make sure that we have iodine um, repletion rather than depletion. It's a really important one to test, um, you know, because we basically need thyroid uh, iodine to make thyroid hormones. Mm. But we're just exposed to a plethora of toxicants, and these toxicants are all endocrine disruptors, 
endocannabinoids are as a part of the endocrine system, um, and those toxicants directly interfere with thyroid hormone production. So that's definitely number one. We live in the 21st century, and stress is the scourge of modern-day life. Is this one of the major reasons why we're seeing such an increase in thyroid issues? Yes, absolutely. So number one was, I think, well, I'm not even putting these in order, but when I look at the three main reasons why we're seeing more and more thyroid conditions, environmental toxicity is one, and I think the next one is that HBA dysfunction. You know, we do, as you said, live in a world these days of constant sympathetic nervous system dominance. Um, The adrenals are part of that whole endocrine system, including the thyroid, um, and they're involved in hormone production, including the stress hormones. You know, those little adrenals are like the batteries of the body. Um, they help us to recover from disease and illnesses, and we really need good adrenal function to help heal the thyroid. So when the thyroid's in a really um, dysfunctional, exhausted state and it can't produce its hormones, the adrenals do, we do need to have good adrenal function to support them. But if we are constantly experiencing ongoing stress, busyness, being on all the time 24-7 and your adrenals are just fatigued, um, then that's going to affect the thyroid. And let's let's also talk about, we're not only talking about um, physiological stress here, or psych, sorry, we're not only talking about phys- a psychological stress here, we're talking about other types of stress on the body that will stress the adrenals out as well, like nutritional deficiencies, mm-hmm. um, leaky gut, food intolerances, toxins again, infections, over-exercising, poor sleep. So it's not only psychological, all those other things going on in the body will affect the adrenals and then the adrenals aren't there to support the thyroid. You know, we can't digest food under stress. We need, you know, our digestion so we absorb nutrients to supply the immune system and the thyroid with that, those optimal nutri- nutrients it needs. And, and, of course, this is when we're talking about sympathetic nervous activation, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and it's just switched on all the time. So, you know, I, I actually find that there's this atypical thyroid woman. She is that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm her. I've got Hashimoto's as well. But, um, you know, we are this, it's the busy woman scenario. And I just see so many women who are constantly busy, don't stop, don't rest or take time out for themselves. Um, and I can almost pick them in clinic. Um, they're very characteristic. And they just become burnt out. And then the thyroid just can't keep up. It's, it ends up slowing down. Um, as, a, as a physiological process to actually um, trying to bring homeostasis to the body. Um, and then, you know, we take medication. So, you know, we give, we're given thyroxine to actually keep us going, to give us energy, to keep our metabolism going, um, rather than actually listening to the body when we're fatigued and, and to slow down and rest. Um, over-exercising is another one which I think I've mentioned. And, you know, that high cortisol blocks that conversion of T4 to T3, so it's it's shunted off to reverse T3, which is inactive, and then that reverse T3 competes with T3 at a cellular level, so, you know, you're just not getting that good active T3 into the cell. Um, you know, throw in some coptal mayo genes where you can't, so you've got that ongoing um, sympathetic dominance, you've got, you know, adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol, um, and that stress response just lasts 24-7 for these people and they can't sleep because they just can't break, break down those, those stress hormones. Uh, stress, you know, high stress creates hypoxia in the body and we know that we need good um, oxygen and ATP for um, thyroid hormone production. So it's just a very complex interplay, that whole, you know, HBA dysfunction affecting thyroid function. Do you know of any body that's looked at why 
some women are able to cope. Their resilience is such that they flow on through these extremely stressful periods in their life, childbirth, early childhood, rearing, looking after a family, looking after a husband, Um, (laughs) all of these sacrifices that women make and plod on through, particularly Mm. when they're under the weather, you know, and they just, they soldier on. But some women are able to cope and some women aren't. Some women get a clinical picture developing. Are they really able to cope, Andrew? I'm not so sure. So Ah, I'm seeing them ending up, you know, after years of that. We we cope as women because we have to. We cope as women because there's no one else to look after the children. That's our role. It's inbred in us that we just have to get get up, get on with it, no matter how bad we're feeling, how poorly, how, how exhausted. We have to get on. There's no one else. But I tell you, I see the women in clinic after years of this, and even the women, it's interesting you say that, you know, I have seen women when I was a young mum, you know, I had three kids in four years and that's a whole other reason I think why my my thyroid condition developed. But um, I, you know, remember looking at some women thinking, how can you run two businesses and have three kids and I'm absolutely exhausted. But in the end, I've seen their dysfunction come in over maybe 10 years later. They end up in my clinic or in someone else's clinic. Uh, They're overweight because, you know, the high cortisol, the inflammation, um, the stress, or they've got a thyroid condition. So it will catch up with them eventually. Maybe there's some, for some it doesn't happen, but I think that's a very small percentage. And And I can't can't tell you why, (laughs) what they've got that we don't have. But What can partners do to Mm. alleviate um, some of this chronic stressor? Um, yeah. to their to their system. Obviously, there's things like, you know, lift your game and cook and, you know, mm. do, do some of the housework. Uh, yeah. Males are notorious for leaving this to women and it's, it's yeah. not fair. No, I think it's just a stereotypical. You know what I see a lot in my area is um, FIFO workers. A lot of young mums are moving down to this beautiful area that I live in because it's a lifestyle change from, say, the city. They don't have um, parents or in-laws around they're on their own, and then the the partner gets a job, um, FIFO, so working on the mines, you know. So they're alone with small babies, and, you know, babies get and young children get sick a lot, uh, and they just, oh, they do it all on their own. So in that case, um, it's really hard. We're actually setting up a network um, for these young mums in this area to, to sort of get a network of people. So they go home with a bit of a pack with some numbers that they can call if they need help. With some, they're setting up some... Um, Women, menopause of women who retired that want to do that sort of thing and help these younger women. Oh, that's great. Um, because, yeah, so, you know, I think we need to jo- we need to develop more. And I think men are doing as much as they can. Sure, they need to lift the game. But I think it's also a lack of community for these women, a lack yes. of communal support. Yep. And that's where I think we need to draw on more support groups, especially in that case of FIFO and when they don't have family or other support. We need to be able to draw on community because when I ask these women in clinic, you know, who, when do you get a break? When, when are you able to, when it's like, well, there's no one here and all my friends have babies. So it's hard. FIFO, fly in, yeah. fly out. Fly in, fly out. So they're away they're for three weeks sometimes at a time. Yeah. Yeah. It's really big where I live and it's, you know, it's a three-hour um, drive to a major airport. So mm. it's, it's a lot of travel for these people as well. Um, but I, I see a lot of young mums struggling in that area. So I think we need to really support them on a community level um, and have, you know, platforms where they can reach out to 
when they need that support. I, I think that's absolutely awesome because so often we forget about the basis, the, the, forgive mm. me, the basics. And that is, it's it starts with community. It starts yeah. with lifestyle and diet and right. interconnection yeah. and things like that. You know, the, mm. these supplements that so many practitioners rely on is the last thing that we should be yes. thinking about. I, I agree. love what you're doing. That's I, awesome. I totally agree. Oh, that's cool. Thank you. So when you're yeah. considering these issues, mm. what do you see as the most important issues to consider when, assess when assessing their thyroid needs? Yeah. So this is um, there's so many, and this is what I really teach to my practice in my training course, that um, there's all these little things that you know, are often not taught, um, but they're really important. So I think number one is that we do have different reference ranges for babies, children, and teens for TSH, T4, and T3. And you really need to be aware of those um, to assess your these sort of this um, subset um, in clinic. So when um, a baby is first born, they have actually quite a high TSH and that and T4 and T3, and that begins to decline after about the first month after birth. So there will be different reference ranges uh, for TSH, T4, T3 up till around. 15 to 18 years of age, sometimes around 15 it stabilises, but for some others it takes about um, till they're 18 to come under adult reference ranges. Okay. So that's something really, really important to um, know. And and so with the babies, is that mm. because they're, you know, they're still being influenced by their maternal um, thyroid, do I say the word habituation? Yeah. Um, what about breast milk? What about things like that? Yeah, it's actually a pituitary. So it's as the brain develops. Um, so it's that pituitary um, frontal cortex um, development that actually right. influences the thyroid. So it's it's that still that development that goes on, especially in the earlier, younger years, that's influencing the thyroid hormone. And what about reference ranges for thyroid antibodies? Yeah, they're pretty much atypical for um, the same for across the board. It's mainly just the TSH. Um, T4 and T3, but antibodies are pretty much the same. I sort of really consider antibodies anything above sort of 20. Um, you know, some sort of thoughts are there should be some antibodies there. Um, others I know shouldn't be antibodies. I haven't quite worked that one out yet. But um, I'm anything above 20, definitely above 50, I'm looking at what's going on. Okay. And what other sorts of things do you look at assessing with thyroid patients? Yeah, something else to consider is, um, and I see this a lot in clinic, is something like um, cellular hypothyroidism. So when we see, you know, you have a patient sitting in front of you that thinking, oh, you know, they have all these thyroid symptoms. You're pretty sure that they've got hyper or hypothyroidism. Uh, and then you have them tested, you do the full thyroid panel and their tests come back absolutely perfect in range, in let's call it naturopathic ranges. Mm -hmm. Um and this sometimes, but they still have all these symptoms and we need to consider that this could be cellular hypothyroidism. And what happens here is that we do have a normal thyroid and pituitary functioning, but the thyroid hormone can't get into cells. So we see this normal TSH, normal T4, T3, but we're seeing hypothyroid symptoms. Um, a big cause of this is that chronic stress and high cortisol, where that increased cortisol affects the conversion of our T4 to T3. Uh, and that T3, get, sorry, that T4 gets shunted again to reverse T3 and competes with T3 at the receptor site. So the T3 the is not getting into the cell and we start to see thyroid symptoms, but it's not yet reflecting on our pathology. 
Um, and this can be the start of a thyroid condition in some cases. So we just really need to find the cause. Um, is, it, is it psychological stress? Is it nutritional deficiency? Is it infection? And um, rather than sort of going in and treating the thyroid, we treat all these underlying um, causes and usually it can resolve, the symptoms will resolve. I think it's also important to be on alert, alert for not so common symptoms, um, you know, so um, parathesias, carpal tunnel, you know, fibromyalgia. There's so many symptoms because thyroid hormone is needed by every cell and tissue in the body. So we really need to look at the clinical picture plus pathology. Um, I'm really, um, I really try to stress getting an ultrasound as well because even um, autoimmunity can be, can be um, diagnosed through ultrasound even if there's no antibodies present on pathology. Right. Um, yeah, Is that normally at a later stage or...? Um, it's, yeah, well, it can be, I, I haven't really sort of worked out what's going on there, but it's, um, I've had a lot of, uh, I've read a lot of research actually about, you know, there's tissue damages in the thyroid that would normally look like, um, the immune system has been attacking the thyroid tissue. Gotcha. So they often diagnose that as a Hashimoto's, but sometimes it, um, the, the antibodies aren't reflected in the pathology, which is really interesting. Right. Do you, do you ever um, find when you've got, you know, normal levels of T4, T3, indeed mm. even lower antibodies, that your mm. RT3 is shunted up because it's sort of a oh. pigeon, if you like, oh, sorry, a canary in the coal mine? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I do like to definitely test for reverse T3, um, especially if, you know, your treat, if your treatment's not working sometimes, test reverse T3 because everything could just be going off. You know, you can increase that T4 all you like. They can take all the thyroxine in the world. but And that's sort of like a bit of a red flag we'll, we'll get to. But if someone's taking really quite, you know, adequate levels of thyroxine yet they're still having a lot of symptoms, yep. um, you need to find that underlying cause because, um, say, stress or whatever it is, can be causing that T4, that thyroxine, to go straight to reverse T3. Right. So they're not getting getting that um, T3 into the cell. Now, we've mentioned yeah. stress as one of the causes of high reverse T3, but there's some heavy mm. metals. Is that mercury? Is... Yes. Yep. Is heavy right? metals can do that. Yeah, to all toxins, um, sometimes infections, um, nutritional deficiencies, particularly selenium and zinc. So, yeah, it just requires a really thorough investigation. Okay, you mentioned red flags before. Let's go into some of mm. these. So I think um, one really interest, interesting one I find a red flag is low iron. So women that have had low iron all their life, uh, perhaps they've needed, um, you know, two to four transfusions, but, always, you know, when they say, I just can't keep my iron levels up, that's a red flag. So iron is needed for the, um, the TPO enzyme, and it's a rate-limiting step for thyroid hormone production. You can't make thyroid hormone without adequate iron. It's a really, really important nutrient for the thyroid. And how many patients do we see in clinic, you know, with low iron? I see it. I see them all the time. Because yep. with, with ferritin, you know, below, um, well, I would say inadequate ferritin is anything from, you know, probably 35 down. So I'm really aiming to get that ferritin level up to around between 50 and 80. Okay. Um, what else? What's, what other things do we need to be aware of? Yeah, family history of thyroid conditions. So always check your the family history. Um, it does have a strong genetic line there. So if you've got, you know, mum, aunties, cousins, grandmothers with a thyroid condition, then you'll always hear that, yeah, grandma had something or thyroidectomy is very common um, in that sort of age group. So always check your family history. 
Um, women who, you know, the con constantly get those women in clinic who say, you know, have all the symptoms, but they've been told over and over. I've had so many women, and this is this is what really spurred me on to help these women more and more is that, you know, they're sure it's their thyroid. They've been to that many doctors over and over and over, and every doctor says your thyroid's fine. And I tell you what, when you make that diagnosis that they've known all their life because um, you've done this full thyroid panel and their antibodies and even an ultrasound, they come and hug you because they've known all their life that they have a thyroid condition and yet they're told over and over and over that it's not their thyroid. So mm. never discount these women. Mm. Always, you know, really support them and think about cellular hypothyroidism as well because, you know, that, that could be the thing for them. Yeah. And the other one is just women in all their hormonal stages of life. And I think too... For these women, it's often um, overlooked and um, taken for something else. So I'm seeing more and more uh, pubescent girls and boys. Now, while puberty um, won't affect actual the levels, um, we did, I've done a bit of research with, you know, when I was looking at different um, reference ranges for kids, puberty doesn't actually affect um, overall their uh, reference ranges, but it can trigger a thyroid condition. And, you know, often I think, you know, a lot of our teens, you know, they're thrown out, of, you know, they're tired, they're withdrawn, they can be anxious, they can put on weight. Well, they're a teen, that's normal. Um, always, again, get your teens tested because I'm seeing more and more teens these days um, with a thyroid condition. Um, women who postpartum, who have postnatal depression or have had consecutive pregnancies, that's another red flag. Um, and also... Uh, menopausal women who, again, will go to their doctor and say, oh, you know, I'm putting on all this weight, I can't, you know, I'm eating nothing, I'm exercising, I'm depressed. Oh, well, you're going through menopause. Again, get their thyroid tested because there's all those subsets of hormonal going, women going through their hormonal stages of life that can actually trigger a thyroid condition. So, yeah, make, be on the lookout for that. You know, it's really interesting. I've seen pathology reports very commonly look mm. at, even in men, you know, and they'll mm. say thyroid tests, but they never, ever look at antibodies. No. And, and we're missing like yeah. this whole subset of patients, but including men. And this yeah. is something that yeah. really interests me. Yeah. Women, I see, you know, is it because we're concentrating on them? I don't know, but I see that women are by far the yeah. higher sufferers of thyroid disorders. Yes. What's going on with the men that suffer f with thyroid well, disorders? I'll just answer about the women. So we've got those hormonal stages. Yeah. I think we are, number two, we are the more stressed. You know, we're busier. So, you know, I, I say this in my, my thyroid webinars and things that, you know, if you look at men and women, and this, okay, I'm being a little bit stereotypical here, but, you know, men get up. They go to the toilet, sit on the toilet for about 20 minutes, half an hour while the woman is up making breakfast, putting a load of washing on, putting the load of washing on the line, getting the kids ready, da 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 da, da. The man grabs his lunch and walks out the door. He really sort of thinks about one sort of – I know I'm being very typical here, sorry, guys. But, um, you know, and the woman will do 20 million things. So we are, I think, the busier, busier sex. Mm. Plus um, we have all those hormonal fluctuations the other thing is that look at what a woman puts on her body. Again, the male jumps in the shower, barely uses soap or maybe a bit of soap, washes <laughs> his hair. A woman puts so many different chemicals on her yep. body every single day. And afterwards. The top of her, and afterwards. Mm. So they're the three reasons why women are more prone to thyroid conditions and autoimmune conditions. Men, look, I don't – I actually see more hyperthyroidism and graves disease in men. Mm. 
Um, I think genetics is a strong genetic line for men. Um, but again, I think all those things apply just as um, all those root causes are stress, adrenals, infections, toxicity, genes. You know, we have to take everything into consideration. And if that man has leaky gut, if he has, you know, he's, he's really A-type driven personality, he's got a high-profile job, um, if he works in a city and it's polluted, you know, there's all those different triggers which I think apply for men. Yeah. And it's just it's usually, you know, two or three or four that will tip his thyroid over the edge. You make a really good point about what women put on their bodies to make mm. themselves, you know, appealing yeah. and, yes. uh, you know, attractive and all that sort of thing. I mean, the stuff yeah. that's in makeup is atrocious. Oh, atrocious. It's, you know, from their shampoos to their makeup to their, blood, you know, their moisturiser to their deodorant to their nail varnish. I mean, it's, oh, it's just incredible what we do. And mm. when you actually point, and the perfume, they spray the perfume every day over their neck which is where their thyroid is, and it's just soaked up by that little vascular tissue. You were mentioning endocrine disruptors earlier on, mm, and, sure. you know, even with things like tampons where they're, yeah. you know, soaked in, in chemicals and things like that, mm. you can, so you can now get um, organic tampons. Yeah. Um, so I just think there's a, there, there really needs to be this big shift towards yeah. better quality um, yes. makeup with less, less toxicants. I don't know about no toxicants. And, and, and there even... are. There are so many amazing, um, beautiful products around these days. And mm. it, it's just changing one thing at a time. So that's the reason I did develop the thyroid recovery program for my patients because, you know, we get the patient in, we're getting them testing, they come back, we're, we're sort of micromanaging symptoms, we're working out what's going on. But I wasn't getting to those root causes, like really educating them about how they can minimise their toxic exposure one product at a time. So that's why I wrote that program so they could learn how to do that, um, how they can manage their stress in all the different ways um, because, yeah, it's, because it's such a complex system and there's so many drivers that you really need to address to really get um, through that dysfunction and really heal and support that thyroid you really need to address all those things. You have to get all the ducks in the row. You can't just be one thing, like you said, just giving the, the, you know, the thyroid supplement. It's so not about that. Okay, so what else can we do to support our thyroid patients? Um, what about hmm. diet? Yeah, so I think number one is that we really need to look at it. Is it a thyroid gland problem? Are we looking at true hyper, hyper or hyper? Sorry, are we looking at true hypo or hyperthyroidism or one of the autoimmune conditions? Or is it just the thyroid responding to other metabolic process, processes? So if, you know, if there is quite a bit of stress, infection, low iron, poor gut health, just sometimes treating that or those things can actually, and rather than going and treating the thyroid, can actually give that thyroid a bit of a rest. It yep. doesn't have to work so hard to bring balance. Yep. So that's all, I, you know, I've treated many a thyroid condition just by supporting the adrenals and putting some lifestyle practices in, getting them to stop, rest, reset and support their adrenals. Their thyroid settles right down. So really need to work out, you know, is it a true um, thyroid problem or, or is the thyroid reacting to something else? Um, but, yeah, different treatments and procedures will definitely um, depend on where the thyroid's at and we do need to find the root causes and start there. But, yeah, I definitely start with diet. So. Um, generally, I'm looking at you know gluten-free, dairy-free, food intolerances. If we're sort of generally looking at getting that person back into balance, we're looking at hyper or hypo. Um, I do utilise the AIP diet quite a lot. 
particularly if their antibodies are really high or they have, um, you know, leaky gut really badly. So I did do some study with the um, Wellness Institute in America with Mickey Trescott and Sarah Valentine um, and became an autoimmune certified coach practitioner. Um, and I found that diet uh, invaluable in really supporting these patients. What is the AIP? Mm. So the auto, autoimmune paleo diet is oh. a whole system and protocol um, that aims to switch the immune system off. So when the immune system, for whatever reason, starts, begins to start attacking its own body tissue, the AIP, and it's not just all about the diet, the AIP protocol helps to settle all the inflammation and bring balance to the body so the immune system can go back into regulating properly. Um, and when I, you know, I had a lot of clients coming in on either on the AIP or heard about it and read about it, and I did know about the diet a bit, but I really wanted to understand the science behind the diet. And the science sort of is that there are all these little compounds in food um, that manipulate normal pathways in the gut to, um, and they enter through um, different pathways. They're very tricky that stimulate the immune system. So things like um, agglutinins, promolins, saponins, um, and that these little compounds in foods can damage epithelial cells. They can open the tight junctions of the gut. They feed dysbiosis and maybe digestive inhibitors. So on the AIP diet, we, um, we eliminate all these foods that could possibly contain these compounds. Um, and it is all about healing leaky gut and settling down the inflammation and the immune re reactivity because every person with an autoimmune condition will have leaky gut, whether they've got overt symptoms or not. And it's not only about the diet, it's, um, it's a lifestyle. So just as much as we're healing leaky gut, uh, stopping that immune reactivity, we are working on things such as sleep, um, stress and movement. And it's, the diet is all about, because if you think about the immune system, it's a really, really nutrient-dense system. It needs a lot of high-quality nutrients. And while removing foods that contain these, um, these compounds, where uh, the AOP diet focuses on very nutrient-dense foods, such as offal, fungi, um, really good quality organic or grass-fed meat, um, high-fat seafood, seaweeds, and, and a lot of vegetables as well. Now, seaweeds was very interesting. We've got to think about the quality of the seaweed there, obviously, because uh, there's been some... I think we have to think about the... Yeah, yeah, we have to think about the quality of everything we put in our mouth. It's not just the seaweed, but I do agree, yeah, some of the seaweeds can be quite contaminated. You've got to really source some clean clean seaweed for sure. Um, you mentioned, you know, community support earlier on. What about family support when you've got, you know, the woman really struggling? Mm. I, yeah. I shouldn't be stereotypical myself, mainly the woman, but like yeah. I've known, I've been speaking with Cindy Kennedy about her mm. husband who's got Hashimoto's. Yeah. So yeah. family support for the yeah. partner um, yeah. who has the thyroid issue. So do you engage in you know, helping the families become aware about the issues with the patient? Yeah, I, I do find that a lot of these, you know, male or female in clinic, because they, like I said, they still, they can feel really, really tired and exhausted, fatigued. They still get up and walk around and can go to their jobs and, and do what they can do, most of them. And because there's no sort of, you know, they don't look ill, we, we look the same. Um, a lot of people sort of think, well, it's how can you, you know, you shouldn't be complaining because you look fine. Yeah, you're you doing look fine. all the things. 
But these people often, it's a really debilitating, especially Hashimoto's and Graves' disease. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very, very, very debilitating. So, um, yeah, pra- uh, family awareness, sometimes getting the whole family into the clinic and talking about um, supporting each other and where everyone can help or just talking to that person. So I you know, mainly see women, I have to say, but I'm normally getting those women to, okay, how old are the kids? What can they do to help you? Can they um, fold some clothes or getting a, a, a food roster up or, um, you know, uh, bulk cooking when you're actually feeling good, do a great big batch cooking so you've got lots of meals in the freezer or um, getting a cleaner or whatever they can to support themselves because these people need rest. They've got to rest. Yes, they, they still need to work. They still need to carry on. But um, it is all my programs really encourage rest and restoration. I'm getting people off you know, over-exercising. I'm getting them to more restorative movement. I'm getting them sleeping. I'm getting them to meditate if I can or just lie flat on the, flat on the floor for, you know, 10, 20 minutes a day. Whatever they can do, the thyroid is this little, it, it just wants to bring homeostasis to the body and it's this tiny little gland that works so hard but when it goes into dysfunction, it needs rest and restoration mm-hmm. to um, come back into balance. When we're talking about, you know, the last things that we really should be considering, and that is supplementation, mm. there's, there's been some issues presented with like extraordinarily high doses of iron pre- of iodine previously. Yeah. And conversely, there's various herbs that can be very useful in helping, you know, Graves' disease or indeed in helping Hashimoto's or hypothyroid patients. What tend to be your, I'm not going to use favourite, but go-to sort of things Mm. and are there any caveats there that we need to be aware of with regards to dosing or testing like with iodine? Well, I test for everything. I'm a really big believer in testing first. So, you know, I will test for things like iron, um, vitamin D, um, zinc, B12, you know, I really want to make sure that and and really looking at my dosages so I'm going to get them opt up to the optimal levels of those reference ranges. So in nutrients, we want optimal ranges, um, sorry, optimal levels. And um, then I'll sort of retest in about three months to make sure we're on track and we're getting somewhere. Um, gotcha. With iodine, I, you know, I think we, because we're still sort of, you know, there's two different views. Um, there's this sort of more cautious view that I tend to take or there's the high dose. Um, kind of view. I definitely sort of stick to the more cautious path. I'm because um, I just really think, even though I've done a lot of research on this, I do think that um, you know we're still not a hundred percent there. You know, iodine deficiency as much as iodine excess can cause um, a hypothyroid problem. So yes. it's, it's a it's a, a very fine balance that we need to find. So I recommend the fasting first uh, morning void urinary iodine. So they're not taking a, the loading and taking a big 50 milligrams of that. Um, I find that's adequate, especially if they do it fasting um, with creatinine corrected. I'm getting a really good baseline, um, especially for pregnant women. I think iodine is hugely important for managing um, any pregnant woman, let alone your your hypothyroid or thyroid um, pregnant woman, they need a lot of extra support. Um, so yeah, we we test and then we aim to get them up to around about one fifty two hundred micrograms on pathology as well. So yeah. I'm testing, getting them up because we know that's adequacy for the iodine. Yeah. So yeah, so things like vitamin D, um, iron is really important. You know, selenium, um, zinc. Tyrosine, B12 are kind of like my go-tos for treatment. 
Uh, and just depending on and, and with and then treating underlying causes. So definitely nutritional deficiencies, making sure that, that that thyroid, that immune system, if you're treating autoimmunity, has optimal levels to support um, everything going on. And then depending on what's going on, treating the underlying causes. And what about things like, um, you know, bugleweed, for instance, mm. um, uh, lycopersvaginicus, which is used with hyperthyroidism yeah. mm-hmm. um, to bring it down safely. Um, yes. And herbs like, say, hemidesmus for autoimmune mm. issues and, yes, and iris versicola for yeah. an iodine type or a thyroid uh, nourishing. Thing. Do you tend to favour these or are you very cautious about the use of herbs? Oh, no, I love my herbs. I'm a herbalist at heart. So I definitely making, you know, all my thyroid patients from pretty much every thyroid patient will get some sort of herbal. And yeah, again, it'll just be, yep, employing those, um, those thyroid herbs, my beautiful, yeah, Hemidesmus, Romania. Um, oh, Romania, of course. Romania for the autoimmune. <laughs> yes. Vitamin D is very important. Vitamin D adequacy and selenium for antibodies as well um, are really important. Uh, and then there's we've got our beautiful immune modulation. So depending on yeah, so it could be um, you know the lemon balm um, or the motherwort in hyper. Uh, and then we've got things like you know yeah, like you said the bladderwrack, bacopa I really like um, nigella. It's a really nice. Ah, um, nice. Yeah, so it just really depends what's going on. But yes, I'm looking up at all my beautiful herbs on my shelf right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so I do definitely make up a herbal formula. And yes, and that is. I do love, and I really acknowledge what you're doing about supporting your patients from the ground up. And that is, you know, from right from community. I think that's something we really need to listen to. And I got to mm. thank you for taking us through this today, Tara, in, in what I have been thinking of as, as adequate support. You've really taken it to the next level. Well done to you. Well, thanks, Andrew. It's something that I'm very passionate about, definitely treating thyroid conditions. So, And I think, um, yeah, as I said, it's, it's a complex system um, and there's so many different presentations and it really requires an integrated, complex approach. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Join Dr. Sarah Howard and her guests as they dive into the world of integrative veterinary medicine on the new Pure Animal podcast. Dr. Howard interviews practitioners, researchers, and industry professionals at the forefront of their fields with the aim of advancing pet well-being. Search for Pure Animal in your favourite podcast app.